Welcome to the Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast, brought to you by Line 6. Line 6 is a musical instruments manufacturing company that specializes in guitar amp and effects modeling and makes guitars, amps, effects pedals, and multi-effects. We introduce the world's first digital modeling amp, and we're behind the groundbreaking pod, Multi-Effect, which revolutionized the industry with an easy way to record guitar with great tone. Line 6 will always take dramatic leaps so you can reach new heights with your music. And now your host, Bo Burchell. Welcome, everyone. Uh, this is Bo Burchell. I've hijacked another episode of URM Podcast. Today, I am very excited to be interviewing Rick King. If you don't know who he is, he, I mean, he's hes done records with Hit the Lights, Northbound, Daisy Head, Forever Came Calling, and like tons more. He has an absolutely gorgeous studio and the like the most incredible gear you've ever seen it makes mine look like corner store 7-eleven but yeah so rick what's up Bo? thanks for having me man i don't i don't agree with about half of whatever you just said i didn't want to jump in there though but i'm super excited to be here so thank you for having me awesome so within within urm there's a lot of dudes starting out right okay um and like your story to me is like so cool. As far as I understand, you were at a normal job and then one day something just flipped and you were like, I can't do this anymore. I'm going to do music full time. Right. Yeah. I mean, and that's obviously like the super abridged version. Um, well, give me, give me the, give me the real thing. Okay. So, um, you know, and before I get too far into it, you know, you talked, you touched on the, the idea of, you know, under URM, you have a lot of people who are just getting started. And mm-hmm. I, I feel like, you know, I've only been doing this full time, not quite five years. I feel like I'm just getting started. Um, and I have a feeling that probably in the, like in 10 years from now, probably still going to feel like that. I think that's kind of like the big secret to all of this is that none of us know yeah. what we're doing. We're all kind of just trying to figure it out and make everybody think we know what we're doing. It's just a big lie and we're just doing the best we can. So, or maybe not, maybe maybe I've just got myself fooled into thinking that and that's what works for me um, and everybody else knows what's going on. But I think that's the truth though. I don't know how you feel about that or not, but. Um, Dude, I know, I know everything. All right? <laughs> okay, so like, we're on like a complete polar opposites then. Right. <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, it definitely, it definitely does. I mean, like I still feel, I mean, I don't know. See, I always thought I just was weird, though, because I still, like, so I was recording bands for a while, and then, like, for me, Seos and the band just kind of took off, so I had to take a huge kind of, like, hiatus from recording bands. So I feel like... Wait, so you started with recording? Yeah. I didn't know that. That's very interesting. I mean, for me, the band was just a way to make another record, you know? I was like, cool, how can I I make people want to record with me? And, like... I should just start a band. People think bands are cool. But then I started, but then I just fell in love with it and then kept doing it. But yeah, all that being said, now I'm back and doing records and I feel like I'm just getting started again. You know, I feel like I'm back at ground zero having to work my way back. You know, it's not like I was ever big before, but now I feel like I have to work my way up to a certain level. But yeah. Do you feel like that? You don't feel like maybe name recognition kind of helps you? Like there's a, there's like a, like that helps a little bit? Yeah, there is, but. It it also works both ways, you know what I mean? Like when you're when you're the guitar player for a screamo band, it's it's like 
it's it's pretty hard to sell yourself on like uh, a band that sounds like uh, Coldplay or a band, you know what I mean, or like Cold War Kids, even, you know what I mean, like any sort yeah. of like cool indie rock band. They're like, oh, dude, you were in a screamo band, like. But anyways, yeah. So tell me how. Give give me the version of how. You just did it. Like, okay, it's, so it's so cool to me. I'll keep it. I'll still keep it. You know, still kind of a bridge because there's a lot that goes into it. Um, you know, I did have a background in music. I um, like most people. You know, I played in bands. Like, tried to push a band for a little bit to try and get you know label attention, whatever, whatever. Nothing worked out. What instrument do you play? You um, play guitar? Yeah, I play guitar, but I always ended up playing bass. I think I always had the idea of like playing bass in a band and like singing harmonies, like where I didn't have to worry about like I don't know. It was just something cool about like laying down the foundation. And then singing harmonies right. like that always just kind of like appealed to me. I thought it'd be fun. So yeah. I don't know if it was like the inner like Paul McCartney in me. I was like I was better at guitar than like the guys in my band, but I just wanted to play bass. <laughs> I don't know why. Right. But so I did that sort of thing, and we pushed it for a little while out in, out in the Utah scene, um, which is still a great mm-hmm. scene out there, and lots of great music coming out of like Salt Lake and Provo. And so I was doing that sort of thing. It didn't work out. Um, moved back home, kind of gave up music. I think like at the time, like when I was doing music, um, I remember when I went to go record my first record um, with a guy named Joel Pack, who owns a studio called Rigby Road in Salt Lake City, um, who's mm-hmm. tremendously talented. I just remember like we like in order for us to be able to pay for it, like we were all kids that were like in college or college dropouts. I ended up like using my financial aid for a couple semesters. Like I got the check for the semester and like just immediately like bought bass gear and then like the next semester like rolled around and I uh, took the check and like immediately put it towards recording and just like lived off of like nothing for those like that that's whole rules. year. But it was like that's what I wanted to do, you know, I made it that my priority. So, you yeah, know, I, I did that and I think when things didn't work out after having like given up so much to try and push music, I kind of felt a little defeated. So, I, I like put music into the background of my life. I was like, I'm not going to do it anymore. But I was still like, I, I continued my college education and I did stuff like classical guitar and, and jazz guitar in college. And it wasn't really my thing, but it was a way for me to still have like an outlet for music. So I did that sort of thing. So I, I had a background in music. So it wasn't like I just like came out of nowhere and decided I wanted to do music. I did like most of us all have like some sort of background, like playing or performing music. Right. So, so I did that. So, you know, fast forward a couple of years, I've kind of put music out of my mind and uh, I was working at, at a local electronics store, big box store. I won't mention any names. Um, and I was okay. selling cell phones. And uh, just after one particularly like grueling evening, my wife and I had both, I think I had graduated college. I think she was getting ready to graduate college at the time. Um, we kind of looked mm-hmm. at ourselves and we're like, okay, this is not what we want to do with our lives. Let's get the crap out of here. So we literally just, it was a rough day at work and we just, we felt like this was not our calling in life. We didn't want anything to do with it. So we just walked out. I don't even think we clocked out. I think Were we just, you like, both at that store? Yeah, I was selling cell phones and she was selling like cameras and video games, which was great that we got oh, to like wow. work together. It was fun. And we got to walk out yeah. together too. You know, they say, that's cool. They say the, the family, the couple that quits together stays together. I don't know if they really say that or not, but I want that like in like a crochet sort of thing that like hang above our bedroom when we get older. She says no to the crochet. She's in the other room like recording this for me. Uh, more more of a needlepoint girl? Right. She's more of a needlepoint girl for sure. <laughs> okay. All right. Gotcha. <laughs> so yeah, so we like walked out and, it, and, and at that point, uh, you know, I tell the story that like we just quit to go chase after our dreams. That's There's obviously much more to that. When we quit, it wasn't like, I'm going to quit. I'm going to go build a recording studio. But we quit, and then there was this period of time of like, oh, crap, what are we going to do with our lives? And we kind of tossed around the idea. We knew we wanted to like start our own business and do our own thing and and work for something that was meaningful to us. 
Um, we looked at things like she's a fantastic baker. We looked at like building a bakery for her, and uh, we realized that mm-hmm. we live in the Midwest. And uh, there's not a lot that we do well here, but eating is one of the things that we do very well. So there's a lot of competition for bakeries here. So we thought, okay, we don't need another bakery here. What else can we do? And I think I threw out the idea of like, oh, we could build a recording studio kind of as a joke a little bit. Oh, wait, time out. Let me back. Can I back up for two seconds? Yeah. So when I was graduating college, I had been in college at this point for like 11 years, which is not the right way to do it at all. I don't recommend it. Whoa. Um, just trying to get that one bachelor's degree. I ended up at Murray State where I met my wife um, and I was getting ready to graduate and they kind of just put together like a a degree called, uh, I can't even remember, Bachelor of Integrated Studies is what they call it, which I feel is like several (laughs) steps below a liberal arts degree. Right. It's literally just a, it's like a bullshit degree. Let's just take all these classes that you've done. Let's throw it together and just get you out into the real yeah. world. Like there's no hope it's for the you. The equivalent of the attendance award. Right. Exactly. Thank you. Exactly <laughs> that. And so for my for my final project, I was supposed to write this 40 page paper. And I had, I had like two papers my senior year that were supposed to be like two pages long that I was already overwhelmed with that I had my wife actually write for me. Um, so when I was faced with a 40 page paper, I was like, there's no way I'm, I'm never graduating. I just need to drop out. Like, this is not going to happen. So I talked to my guitar instructor at Murray state and I asked him, Hey, I have this crazy idea. What if I like wrote and recorded like a five song EP and like submitted that to be like my, my final project. So he like pushed for it, got the okay to do it. And I had a blast doing it. It's terrible. No one will ever hear it. It's absolute trash, but I had a fantastic time doing it. So, like, fast forward when we were, like, looking at what it was we could do, like, after having that experience, I think I um, I threw out the option of, like, hey, why don't we build a recording studio? We looked at, like, the local scene here, and we saw there's a lot of potential, and we had, like, this field of dreams mentality that, if you know, if we built it, they would come. So we just we just literally took everything that we had, and we dove in, and we built a recording studio. We quit our jobs, and there we were. Uh, and I don't rec- necessarily recommend it either because I think uh, I think her and I were in like a financial spot where we were able to to do that because we knew like going into it we weren't going to make a lot of money starting off. I didn't know that you know five years in we still wouldn't be making any money, but I knew like at that time we wouldn't <laughs> be making anything starting off. You know it was going to take a lot of money to like buy the gear, build the studio, right. get our name out there, and then it was going to take some time to grow. And so mm-hmm. um, you know I get asked a lot like what I recommend people doing that. And, and I, I think I wouldn't say that everybody should just quit their job, especially if you have, you know, people depending on you, you know, to live and survive. But, uh, I do, I do want to push the, the idea that, you know, if music is something that you enjoy to do, you should find a way to do it. And that's different for everybody. Does that make sense? Right. Yeah. So that's how we, that's, that's how we got here. Um, here we are five years later, still, you know, plugging and chugging away at it. So, but there was a studio version one, right? Because you're version two right now. I think we're technically. I mean, we're like version three at this point. We had we had okay. version one. Like we built a really cool space downtown here in Western Kentucky. We had no clue what we were doing. We kind of just like got onto Google and kind of searched like how to build a recording studio and just found like a step by step instruction, you know, like a twelve step kind of thing, and just kind of followed that. Um, and it turned out really cool. Wow. But we lost the building about a year after we built everything, and we just, I mean, lost everything in there. I think we like we kind of like took all of that and then moved everything into our home, into a couple bedrooms into our home. We had uh, like a three-bedroom house. So we had, I'm mm-hmm. sorry, we had a four-bedroom house. 
we had a, a bedroom for the control room, a bedroom for the live room, and then like our bedroom and then a spare bedroom for like bands and stuff to crash in. And we did that wow. for probably, you know, maybe two years, maybe a year and a half, something like wow. that. And then, uh, how, and, sorry, go ahead. How did your wife deal with like sketchy band dudes rolling around the house? You know, one of the interesting things, um, first of all, she's always been great. I wouldn't have the studio if it wasn't for her. Like she's been the one that like, there's been multiple times that I've just wanted to just quit and give up because it's not an easy job. You know, even when bands are, are just rolling in, there's still a lot to deal with when you're dealing with, you know, I always thought when I started that recording music would just be, you know, hanging out with dudes, playing some chords, hitting record and just like making music. But it's, there's so much more to it. I feel like oftentimes and, and maybe, you know, I'd be interested to hear how you feel about it. But I feel like most of the time, you know, actually recording the music is maybe half of the job. Like, I feel like there's so much more that goes into it where it's like, you know, making sure that people are comfortable, um, trying to pull the best, um, you know, performance out of a musician, just, you know, dealing with band dynamics, you know, with, you know, bass players that may not get along with the guitar player or whatever, whatever. Um, how do you feel about that? Yeah, I mean, half the time you're a psychologist. So you're right. Yeah. I mean, like making the people feel comfortable getting those performances. Yeah. I would say about 50% of the time you're, even if all your ducks are in a row, 50 prints. I, I mean, I actually just got this, uh, plugin from Hoffa plugins. Okay. I don't think, I don't think you can customize it to like show the actual amount of time that like is hit record on the track. But it's a plugin that lets you know how much time you've spent on the session. So, like, when you open up the session, it, like, starts a stopwatch. Okay. And then when you close the session, it pauses it. And then when you open it back up, it's like, okay, well, you've been working on this song for, like, 15 hours now. You know, so it's kind of an interesting thing that I'm curious to find out how much time I'm putting into certain mixes or certain songwriting things. So, anyways... But yeah, you're totally right. It's, it's, you know, I'd say about half of the time is, okay, let's actually record that. Maybe even less. Whereas the majority of it is working out the parts, yep. talking about, you know, talking about if this part, actually something that really bugs me is like the, the hypothetical arguments that you can, or like the hypothetical discussions you can get into with bands. Okay. And it's usually, it's usually like, you know, bass player versus guitar player and you're just sitting there kind of listening and you have to eventually just step in you know it's like well yeah i think we should go to i should i think we should go to the three chord there well i don't think that's going to sound good because of this and well it's like dudes stop arguing let's just fucking try it and see how it sounds like you guys have been arguing over like like theories for like the past five minutes we could have recorded both versions by now and just listened to the result you know, that's, that's like something that kind of bugs me a lot. Like I usually am like, what if we did this? You know, or they, if they ask, you know, like, well, what if we did this? Like, what do you think that would sound like? It could be cool and it could totally suck. Let's try it and find out. Cause it's all in the execution. Right. You know? I, I think, I think in, like, no matter what you do, like you're in this interesting, you know, situation where no matter what you decide, you're going to make one person upset. And so you have to find a way to do that and still, you know, take the person whose side maybe you didn't take and find a way to like bring him back into the session and make him still feel, you know, like his opinion matters, like he's cared about, like he's heard. There's just so, like you said, there's so much like psychotherapy that yeah. goes on with it. And I didn't anticipate that. And I don't even know how we got on this topic, but I mean, but it's true yeah. though. I, well, really... I mean, and, and going further with it, sometimes there is that dude where he does suck and he doesn't matter in the band and the band hates him. But for whatever reason, 
you know, he's the only guy they can find that's like consistently around to like play saxophone on tour. So like they really don't want to piss. So you know what I mean? So they really don't want to piss him off because right. then he's going to quit and they're going to have a hard time finding a new saxophone player. Yep. And and he also like charges them no money to go on tour. So it's like, right. man, like we'd better let Steve show up to the studio. So it's like, you know, and then you have to figure out a way of telling him to like, hey, Steve, why don't you just, you know, go take a lunch or something for the next three weeks, you know? Or Isn't like, it funny how you have to come up with something to, like, keep them active yeah. and, like, work around that situation? You have to be, it's kind of like playing chess a little bit. You kind of have to stay Oh, totally. a couple steps ahead of the band. And even when it comes to, like, making decisions, I've also learned, too, you know, like, sometimes when bands will come in, um, and I'll bring this back to the original question. There is, like, I now I remember, like, why I went off on this tangent, but... uh <laughs> you know, it's funny, like sometimes bands will come in and they'll be they'll be talking about something and I hear what it should be, like what they're trying to go right. for, but they're not quite hitting and I hear what it needs to be. I've learned that like if I if I go out there and I say, hey, guys, this is what it needs to be. And it comes from me and mm-hmm. it's my idea, then instantly it's wrong because I'm not a member of the band. Um whatever, whatever, whatever. But if I can find a way right. to make, to like interject that idea and let it be their decision, that they're the one, like, you know, get them to think that they're the ones that stumbled upon it, then everything works out really great. And that's always a fun game of like cat and mouse that I get to play. Yeah. I mean, that's that old Jedi trick. It is. You know, where My favorite thing to do is instead of like presenting an option to come up with two mm-hmm. options, one that I like and one that I clearly like don't like. And, and present them instead of like, hey, what do you think about this? I ask them, which one do you guys like better? <laughs> you know, so then when they make the decision, now it's the, they're the ones who made the decision. It wasn't me just like, you know, does that make sense? Like I wasn't the one like giving them the right, option. Yeah, yeah. They're the ones that made the decision, even though it was really me right. in the background, you know, manipulating everything. Yeah, I do. The, I do the same thing with my daughter. Yeah. <laughs> It is like raising kids sometimes, like big, yeah, it's like all for her, talented, like, emotional kids. But you know what? Yeah. I love it though. You know, go, bringing things yeah, full totally. circle, thinking about my time selling cell phones, you know, at the store um, and working with bands who have these dynamics, who have these emotions, who have these girlfriend dramas or boyfriend dramas back home or have jobs that they're having to deal with. Like I wouldn't trade that for anything. I love like right. all the chaos it's it's crazy to deal with, but I wouldn't trade it for anything. I think it's that's what makes this job. I think you know if you take the personality out of the music and it it was just the music, I don't think it would be as enjoyable. You know, because like when bands leave, I don't remember. Sometimes I may forget a song or I may forget about you know like if we went to the three chord or not, but I never forget like the interaction that I have with the bands that are there. Oh right, yeah, totally. So I, I love that. Yeah, so there's I, always those couple of moments that you remember, like. I mean, right now I have a moment popping into my head and it was when we were tracking just some extra guitars like on the last Moose Blood record. And and it was like, we had their drummer Glenn come in and like track some big fuzz guitars over like an ending part. And then like Glenn just like totally nailed it on guitar. In my head, I was like, I didn't know this dude could actually play guitar, you know? And right. then like right at that moment, I just like blurted out. You're like, damn, bring Glenn, bringing it thick. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like just like getting super pumped. And then like the whole band just started cracking up. And then it was like, from then on out, it was like big Glenn just bringing it thick. It's like, yeah, that's the part you remember. I don't even remember what song it was, but those are the moments that you kind of remember and make and, it fun. And that's why I like to rag on bands and I like to talk about this kind of stuff because you know I don't want I don't want to I don't ever like try to manipulate because you know I think that my opinion matters more or that I think I know better than bands it's just I, I play the game because I mean that's kind of the role they hire me to do whether they realize it or not they, they do hire me to do that that's what they hire you for you know 
Um, and yeah. I rag on them a little bit, but only because like I love it so much, and like I wouldn't change it for anything. If that if that if that dynamic wasn't there, and there wasn't that game of cat and mouse, or the back and forth, and trying to figure stuff out, and if there wasn't that, like I just don't think this job would be as enjoyable. Right. So you asked me a long time ago, you know, how does my wife feel about like bringing bands in? And so like kind of loosely attached to like what we've been talking about, I think when I moved everything to like my home setup, not where I'm at now, but at our old home into like a a bedroom, a couple bedrooms, um, I Mm -hmm. I made this conscious decision that rather than record up in that point, I was just kind of like recording whoever I could record, whatever genre, just to, you know, pay the bills and to try and break even on all the money that we'd spent to like build this recording studio. Um, and after we lost all of that, it kind of gave me an opportunity to kind of rethink my priorities. And, um, so, I mean, it, 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 how did kinda, you, how did you lose it? Uh, the guy that owned the building, he was like a, you know, without going oh, away, that's into right. okay. he, he was right, like gotcha. a family friend and, uh, like we didn't sign any contract because he was very trustworthy and, uh, we found out that he gotcha. was just kind of like manipulating everybody and, uh, like once we had spent all the money, he like used that to like flip the building without telling anybody. And it was just like, gotcha. we just got like a notice one day. It was like, Hey, um, I sold the building. You guys need to move out right now. And I got there and he was like wow. tearing stuff like off the walls, like trying to move all our stuff out, like with no warning. It was, it was, it was terrible. It was like the worst thing that ever happened to us. You know, we saw like, you know, all those memories of like working at, you know, selling cell phones and quitting and trying to do our own thing. And, um, you know, struggling to like, you know, make a name for ourselves amongst the local scene and and the struggles there all kind of like came flooding back to us as we're seeing like our studio and everything that we'd like dumped every like you know everything that we had into being like literally ripped off the walls it was pretty crushing and very defeating so but the 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 flip side to that was that it did give me that opportunity to kind of you know i was moving stuff back into my home and it was a time to like kind of reevaluate what my goals were how we were going to move forward and so I took that opportunity to decide, you know, I only want to work with bands that I believe in. Like I like them. I, I want to like the music because which I should have felt like that from the be- from the beginning. I think that, you know, I think we do a disservice to bands when we let bands hire us and we don't necessarily like their music or like what they're doing. You know, I think we, we should all be paired up with we should be equally yoked. You know, bands should record with producers who kind of understand what it is they're going for and can help, you know, whose work that they enjoy. And we should work with bands whose, you know, music we believe in, who we think we can make sound good and we can and do stuff with. I think if there's not that, if there's if that's there's a disconnect there, then I don't I don't think we get like the best product that we could. I think again, I think we do a disservice to ourselves and to the band. So that was a decision I made back then. So yeah, I mean, it was, it was like defeating, but it gave me that opportunity to like reevaluate. And I'm really grateful for that experience, even though it was really difficult. Um, I think it changed everything for the best for us. I had like this moment of, I don't know if it was an epiphany or what, but I just, I like, I, I moved home and my tail was between my legs and I had to stop and really stop and think about, you know, what kind of a producer do I want to be? Like, what kind of, you know, how am I going to build this? You know, I, I, I thought I was, I thought I'd like made this huge accomplishment by building this recording studio and that by putting gear and making the place look cool, that that would bring the people that I want and it didn't work. So I had to reevaluate. And so, you know, that's what works for me, but it doesn't necessarily work for everybody. And that's okay. You know, I don't want to necessarily right. record, um, you know, certain, I, you know, I don't want to record country music. I don't want to record hip hop. I don't have an ear for it. I don't drive around listening to right. it. So if there's guys out there mm-hmm. that do, that's great. Um, so I don't know. I think, it, how, I think, how long was it before you were able to turn down people 
from the time you kind of like were starting or like version one to the point where it's like uh i'd rather i'd rather not do that I, you know like, I, I think don't need to record this band i think it was as soon as we moved home you know like it wasn't even a money thing too at that point it wasn't like hey we're making so much money and we're like um we're just knocking bands out left and right that i don't have time to do the stuff i don't want to do it was just a matter of we like decided that it was like a matter of principle then um, you know, we're just going to turn stuff down that we don't believe in. You know, we, you know, it's our, I think that was the other big thing too, is like when we moved things into our home, it became one of those things that it's like, uh, you know, if, if someone's going to come record with us, we're not just inviting them to our recording studio, we're bringing them into our home. And then I, I had to like, you know, consider things like the fact that my wife lives there, that like at the end of the night, when we stop recording, you know, they're still going to be there with us. And so I think it was right then we just decided, you know, we're going to just, again, just record bands that we believe in, that we want to work with. And if we don't, you know, we'll just turn them down and try to find a, a nice way to do it. And a lot of times, you know, if you let bands know that, hey, like, I just don't think I'm the right person for this job, that usually does the trick right there. Because, you know, we're not out to hurt anybody's feelings. I don't get a rise out of turning people down. I just want to work with bands that, you know, where we kind of, like I said, equally yoked. So if we're not, like, right. I, I've, I've learned that it's okay to, to say no sometimes. And it's okay for sometimes for bands to say no to you too. That's kind of, sometimes yeah. it's a hard lesson, but you know, it is, yeah. just is what it is. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's obviously way more fun to, to say no to them. And it does, it does sting <laughs> a little bit, you know, like if you're, you know, like it, it does sting a little bit if you're like doing a test mix or something and then they end up going with someone else and you're, and you're like, oh man, like. I mean, I, yeah, I agree. The other person. Do you better. do test mix? Do you do test mix? Like test mixes still? Every once in a while, um, like if it's like a metal thing, sometimes I'll do a test mix because I'm not really established in the metal world. Or if it's like a, if it's like in like a, I was doing a couple like pop test mixes, but. I have had some success now, like with a couple bands on Alt Nation, but also with the with the test mixing thing, it's it's pretty. This guy Joe, Bur he's a pretty big producer. His name's Joe Barizzi. I was talking to him about this, and he was saying that like, you know, it's like you you get somebody to to paint your house for free, right? Like, right. Hey, I'm gonna paint your house for free. It's like, do you really care if it turns out good or not? No, like, but. If you're paying that person even a hundred dollars, then you're gonna be out there sitting in your lawn chair with some lemonade, being like, "Hey, man, you missed a spot." You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's it's kind of like a backwards thing because it's like, well, if you pay me to just mix the song, then you'll be engaged and and want it to sound good. But if I'm just doing it for free, then you're not invested in it. You know, you know? I, I I know that talking about money is like one of the last things. It, you know, a lot of times it can feel like it takes away from the art. It turns, you know, creating into a business. And sometimes that can have like a negative, you know, kind of connotation to it. But I think it's important to be aware of that sort of stuff. And I think you're absolutely right. I think there's a value to, you know, you know, when somebody is, is willing to pay you to do something, you know, they're they're more invested in what they're doing. They care more about it. So, you know, I don't think that it's, I don't necessarily think that it's directly proportional, but it, it definitely does play a factor in it totally. for sure. Yeah. Well, as well as, you know, you can think like that when you're already established, but yeah, I mean, I've done tons of test mixes where it was like, you know, sure, I'll do a test mix, you know, especially when you're just starting out, it's like, well, 
All right, well, we've got, you know, whatever, insert like, you know, five huge world-class mixers that are like potentially going to mix this record. And uh, how do you get on that short list? You know, it's like, well, I guess I have to prove myself because I'm unproven. Yeah, and that's tough because like at what point do you feel like you're, you know, I, I, I joke about this a lot and sometimes I joke about things as like my... Like is my like a defense mechanism, I guess. Um, so like a lot of times mm-hmm. I'll joke about things. Like I'll joke about I have no clue what I'm doing, and we'll laugh about it, especially like on social media. But really, like behind right. it, like I really do feel like I have no clue what I'm doing. I'm just trying to figure it out, and I put it out there to laugh about it, to just kind of like you know to make everything feel okay. And uh, I experience that all the time, um, where I feel like trying to be a producer. I don't know. Like I feel like it's you know like when you're you're trying to apply for a job. And you have to have the experience to get the job, but the only way to get the experience is to get the job. And at some point, you feel like, okay, like I like uh, like when is like what I've done enough experience to just get the job that I want? I feel like that all the time. Um, I get turned down for right. stuff because you know, for I, I hear all the time like, oh, we'd love to go with you. But we're gonna go with a producer with a name. That's the quote that I hear a lot, and I get that, and that's totally cool. But I also sometimes, but I, I do wonder, you know, like what point have I done enough? To where you know I'm a producer with a a name, whatever that means, and I don't know what that yeah. is. I don't know where that line is, you know. But I don't know. I I totally feel you. I had a I had a record maybe like a year or two ago that I really wanted to produce, and the uh, I had the band on board, uh, management, every, pretty much everyone was on board except for the label, and. You know, it was like, well, you know, I mean, like, you really don't have much success at modern rock radio. Right. And I was like, well, yeah. I mean, it's like the bands that, like, I do are not really modern rock radio things. Right. You know, I just haven't chosen to do that many bands because most modern rock radio, like, is not that rad. That's just my opinion. But this band is freaking awesome and right like, i would kill it with this you know and it's like well what experience would you have with modern rock radio it's like well i mean i don't know i was in a band that uh, i wrote all the songs for and you know we had almost a gold record i don't know if that helps right you know? but it's like that's not really that's not really like an, a trophy they're looking for and especially when you're competing with people where it's like well you know the other guys that are on the short list are like you know they did i mean i don't know if this is definitely not true but it's like you know a band's like it's like oh they did trapped they did chevelle right they did you know like parable and like they have all these like huge names and, and it's like well, you. yeah d- it's like that meme you right. know where it's like you know the this is you know the the girl that you're interested in you know her dad right. her brother her ex-boyfriend and this is you and it's always yeah. like you at the end and you're just like dumpy yeah that's i totally get that feeling all the time (laughs) but you know what i mean it's like and and unfortunately i feel like i mean well in this one particular situation the band ended up being forced to go with the big name guy yeah and he totally like changed them into like the what i'll call it like red state rock just active rock thing yeah you know and the band was like kind of not thrilled and then they got the mixes back from the producer and it was just like they ended up calling me back to mix the record i hear that right all the time like literally band after band after band is having that same experience what's up and with it's, that but i mean i get i get it though you know what i mean because being in a band that was kind of let, let's just call it hot for a while right like yeah 
you know, you, you kind of, you, you, you really start believing all of the things that people are telling you like, oh man, you're going to be the next Metallica or you're going to be the next <laughs> biggest band. And, and you know what I mean? And you really start believing that like, oh man, like the, the type of strings we use on, or like the pick that I'm using on this next guitar part is going to make or break the record. You know, it's like, we better take this seriously, you know? And you're like, for the most part, it's like, man, like all the things that we stressed so much about, like don't matter. And so I guess being in that situation, I totally know what it's like to, to be able to look at a producer from a band's perspective and be like, huh, well, uh, we're kind of the hot shit on the block right now. So, uh, what are, what are you going to do for us? Right. It's like, well, I'm kind of a nobody, but like, I really think that I understand your band and I love everything about your band. I understand everything that you're doing. And like, on top of that, I'm a totally young, fresh approach that has not been heard a million times on the radio already. That's a hard sell though. And I get that that's a hard sell. It totally is. But yeah, you know what? It, I, you know, I wish, you, it, I wish I had a category on my website for, and you can't do this, but it would be nice to be like, you know, and these are the projects I've worked on and these are the projects who I've picked up the pieces after they went to somebody with a name and had a horrible experience and they came back to oh, me and man. I was able to fix the stuff up. You know, I wish I had that category, but you kind of, you kind of have to like leave that drama, you know, but it would be nice to be able to show that because I think there is a lot of, you know, credibility that comes from that. You know, like if I, if I came to you and I wanted to record with you, by the way, off topic, cause you're talking about, um, talking about your band just very briefly, by the way, last record you guys did so good. Just so good. Let me just throw oh, awesome. that out there. Um, I really like it. <laughs> it's so good, man. I absolutely like, you know, like, I know you guys kind of like went away for just a little bit. You know, some members had some other uh-huh. stuff going on and you put this out and mm-hmm. it was, it was tremendous. It was like, you guys had never gone away. You just came back and it was better than ever. So awesome, awesome. job there. So like, I did have one thought though. I wanted to throw out here. So I've been doing this for four years and like, I realized that the people, like the bands that I want to record are bands that are going to, you know, a lot of times like the, the big producers in the genre. And, you know, I, I've always kind of like my, my life, I always tried to like treat things in my life by looking at things from the end and like working backwards. I saw like where I was, like where I wanted to be. And then I tried to like figure out how to work backwards from there to get to where I am, to where I want to be, if that makes sense. So I saw like, I was like, okay, these are the bands that I want to be recording. I look at the current catalog of bands that I have recorded and it's just nothing, you know, again, that same sort of thing. How am I going to you know, bring these bands in when I'm comp- trying to compete with guys that have literally gold records hanging on their walls and I have, you know, I don't have anything like that. So trying to figure out a way to like, you know, I realized that they didn't become those producers overnight. They had to work for it. Um, so I've tried to find a way to like reverse engineer that path. And, and, and that works differently for every person. You know, it's a totally unique kind of experience. But one of the things I always talk to uh, like with bands, um, especially like when I was working mostly with local bands, I was always I would always tell them, you know, if you guys want to be rock stars, you kind of have to just decide to be a rock star. Like you're not going to wake up one day and you're just magically a rock star. It's like a frame of mind. You have to just be a rock star. And it's kind of cheesy advice, but I, I, I took that, you know, I, I, that was the advice that I was giving to these bands, you know, like look at what your favorite bands do and just mimic what they do. Don't wait until you sign the record deal to do those things, do those things now so that, you know, maybe a record label will be more interested in you because you're already doing those things. So I tried mm-hmm. to like apply that to myself and I looked at like what producers were doing. Um, and so like from day one, well, maybe not day one, but maybe like day two, 
of doing this. Like I've tried to just sell myself as somebody who knows what he's doing and try to like establish myself. And it's been difficult because I like, and this is something we talked about off air. Like I didn't, a lot of times guys in our position have gone out on tour with their own bands. They've made connections with other bands. And so when they come to start recording, they already have this network of people to draw from to just invite to come record with them at their studio. They've already got that, you know, that rapport with other bands and they, they, so it's not as hard for them to like draw anybody in. And I like started from like literally nothing. Like I had, I didn't even have local, like I've lived in this town for like the better part of the last 11 years, but I didn't grow up here. Mm-hmm. So because of that, I'm still pretty much an unknown person like to the local community. So I didn't even have like locals to draw from. So I really felt like I started from like ground zero and tried to find ways to just like, just bring in those bands that I want to be recording with. And, you know, there's obviously a lot of luck that ha- that goes into it, but I really took upon myself that whole, like, try to be a rock star mentality where I just, I like, I was not going to wait to be that producer. I was just going to start today and just pretend I knew what I was doing, what I was talking about, um, carry myself like I knew what was up and, and, and put myself out there like that as well. And I feel like that's been instrumental into me being able to see any little bit of, of success at all. And I think I don't, you know, everybody's paths work differently, but I, I do, I do believe in that idea of just like, if this is what you want to do, be that person. Does that make sense? I've seen a lot of people get successful by that method. I don't think it works um, for everybody. I have a tough time. I have a tough time doing it. I think you can. I think you can see through it. Yeah. Well, I mean, yes and no. You know what I mean? I. I I'm too much, I think I'm too much of a blabbermouth that like, if I were to pretend to be something, it would, I would somehow slip up and like let it out that somehow I wasn't. I think my greatest Um, fear is that someday somebody's going to call me out on, you know, on everything and I won't have any way to like prove them wrong. So that's like my, like keeps me up at night. Like I wake up in like cold sweats that like somebody's calling me out. Like you don't know what's going on. You're just a big phony. Like, I know you're right. <laughs> Just don't tell anybody, please. We, we covered kind of like when you wanted to start music. What were like, it, yeah, like what, what, were, what were some of the things that made you want to like think about giving up, you know, or. Uh, oh, man. Like, like some of those. And then again, like, so from the point of like wanting to give up and then what made you kind of like turn it right back around and be like, what am, what am I thinking? You know, I think the nice thing is like the more we do this, the harder it is, you know, like once you've invested so much, not just money, but like your time, your energy, the care, like once you've invested all of the stuff that you like, literally all that you have into, you know, producing music, because I honestly think that's Mm -hmm. what it takes sometimes it takes, you know, it takes sacrificing, you know, vacations and time with family to, you know, to, to make music if that's what you really love to do. I think the deeper you get into it, the longer you've been doing it, the harder it is to ever really get out of the game. You know, it's it's it, it becomes less and less easy to. You know, I think that the frustration can still be there the longer we do it, but like when you have so much under your belt and so much invested in it, it becomes a little more difficult to actually pull the trigger and just like walk away from it. But I do fe- I feel that all the time. Like, you know, I think anytime frustration comes up, it's like you know I look around at like the studio I've built, the time that I've put into it, and I ask myself, what am I doing? You know, like I, I don't have a consistent paycheck. Um, you know, I ask myself, you know, like when you know when you get turned down for a project that you really want to do, you, you, once that happens so many times, you just you know, it starts to wear on you a little bit. But uh, you know, I think we all have goals for ourselves, and I think when we don't achieve those goals in a timely manner, or like you know in the time frame that we just randomly set for ourselves. 
you know, I think that that's, that's the kind of things that make me want to throw in the towel sometimes, but it's, it's so counteracted by, you know, again, like when I look back it's like, well, you know, if I had given up, I wouldn't have had this opportunity. If I had given up at this point, I wouldn't have had that opportunity. And look at all, look at how cool the stuff is that we're doing right now. Um, you know, that's the stuff that keeps me going. So, I mean, it's just, it's just the little frustrations at this point. Um, I think we all want to be bigger than what we are. And if we, if, if not, you know, if we're not pushing ourselves, you know, what are we doing? Um, if we think if we've plateaued, I think, you know, there's other things that, you know, there's that there's, that's the symptom of something else going on. But, you know, if, if this is something that we love to do, you know, we should always be pushing ourselves. And so like when, you know, when we do get turned down for a project that we want to do, or we get a band that comes in and the music isn't as good as what we hope for, or they're harder to work with, or, you know, like maybe the band is great, but, you know, like having them stay at my house for two, you know, for a month, for two weeks or whatever is, you know, once we're done recording, it gets crazy in here. And I just want to have a, like my home back. But, you know, I have to emphasize that all that stuff gets way overshadowed by all the positive stuff that comes along with this. Yeah. I mean, I look at it like it's just that classic unhealthy relate like abusive relationship that like yeah we all know we all know that one girl that like is in that super abusive relationship and you're like dude why don't you just leave that dude you know it's (laughs) like he 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 beats you like like you work like a rad career job but he's a freaking loser and like just goes to the bar every night and like uses your credit card like drives your extra car that like you're leasing and like he cheats on you all the time and it's like why don't you just leave him it's like yeah but when we're together it's amazing you know and you're like dude you suck you know but it's like like that's totally how it is it does it's exactly how it is you know what i mean you're like you're like god everything about this like from like a logical standpoint can sometimes really just not make sense to anyone looking at it right but when you're you know, I mean, like the other, I mean, like the other day I was like super depressed about something, you know, like, uh, I don't know. It was like, it was, it was kind of ridiculous. Like we, I was trying to, we were booking something like I'm booked out through like February now. Okay. So we were looking at something even in March and it was something that I really wanted to do. And just for like, because of like how far I was booked out, the band wasn't willing to wait that long. Right. You know, and I was like, oh man, like that's totally exactly what I was scared of, you know, because yep. there's been so many opportunities where, you know, someone has had a record like start to be mixed by someone else and then they've like, who, whatever, for whatever reason, it was just the wrong fit or the guy blew it. And then it's like, I get a call and it's, and it's, hey, it's Monday um, and we need this record mixed. And the deadline is Friday. Like, are yeah. you available like, like tonight? And you know what I mean? And it's, those are the ones where you're just like, hell yeah, you right. know? And like, I'm going to kill this. Yep. Um, so I was a little nervous about those things happening. And then anyways, I got kind of like depressed the other day, but then I went back into a session and it was like, I'm doing this senses fail record right now. And it, and it, it was just like me and like, I mean, we're just all getting along so great. And it was just like everything else outside of the studio didn't matter anymore. You know what I mean? So yeah. It's kind of like it's that ultimate like yeah, but when we're together, he's amazing. <laughs> so it was it was right back to it, you know. Yeah, it does feel like that, and and, and I think you know, and not that, and you know, I think where the the comparison breaks down is I, I don't have any good excuse for that person to stay in that emotionally abusive relationship, but right, you know, for the the emotionally abusive you know uh, producer job, I think if you're doing something that you love to do. Um, 
it is it is a little emotionally abusive sometimes. It's physically demanding. Right now, I'm editing stuff because I've had a hard time finding anybody that's capable of to go through and edit like properly and like give it the care that it needs. So like oh, right well, right now, I'm like editing stuff, and it's just it's it's exhausting for me. But you know, like it's just one of those things. It's like I just realize it's part of the job sometimes too. And that all that matters at the end of the day is that stuff comes out right and that there will come a day when I'm done editing this record, I can move on to mixing and I can put it behind me and move forward to like the good experiences. So speaking of editing, because I saw recently you were just looking for an intern or an assistant, right? Yeah. How did that go? Um, Because for me, it was was hell. (laughs) Well, why you do this? You tell me. Tell me about your experience trying to find somebody because you have. You're working with great bands. Um, you obviously have. You know your reputation. Your rep- reputation precedes itself a little bit, and uh, I think anybody. You know, as an outsider looking in, looking into the fishbowl. You know, if I'm trying to get you know my my feet wet in the music industry, and I see that Bo um, is looking for an intern and seeing the bands that he's been in and the bands that he's working with and things that he's doing, like I would want nothing more than to to have that opportunity. Yeah, it's hard because and and I feel like this is another one of those like this is another one of those issues where I'm such like the perfectionist, and because I'm so busy, like. I literally don't have time to train someone to do things the way they need to be done. Yes. I mean, I do have a guy now and and he's working out awesome. Okay. You know, and but but it's but it's been it's been really interesting because you know, a lot of these dudes are excellent at like the uh and and I will say that that I'm a really I, I think that my situation is very unique because I work with so many different types of bands. Like, um, I mean, and you know, too, because you do a lot of heavy stuff and then you go to this kind of like more poppy stuff. Right. You know, like so. So and those those different genres have to be treated completely different, you know. Yeah. So like, for instance, you know, I had him edit the vocals for me. Right. Or like time align the vocals for me. Yeah. And I did the first track. And then I said, okay, this is kind of how I'm I'm wanting things, you know. So when you when you're when you're editing these, this is the feel I'm looking for. And it was like, okay, cool, cool, got it, got it. But then when I got him back, everything was just super like tight, you know what I mean? Like like Too metal tight. tight. Okay. Yeah. Well, well, it was to me it was metal tight, you know, because because even though you can have two heavy bands, there's like there's a hardcore tight, yep. you know, which which to me is more like. When the scream comes in, it's it's more of like a, you know what I mean? Like there's like that extra bit like right before the downbeat. Right. Whereas like whereas like a technical metal band, it's mainly going to be like ah, like right on the beat, you know, and everything's yeah. real tight and you know. So it's like and and with a hardcore band, the feeling is way more important than like the technical aspect of it you know absolutely so it was it was kind of interesting because he was a little bit bummed when i had him redo everything and i just had to show him you know i was like dude this is like you're totally right like you edited these vocals and they sound perfect unfortunately perfect is the exact wrong feeling we're going for right so and on this project you know next project we may need perfect exactly yeah you know and i was like you know i there was really no way for me to tell you like, hey, can you edit these, but don't do them perfect? It's like, well, that is, you know, fifteen thousand different ways to screw up. It's hard so, finding some, and it's hard finding somebody that's 
trying to get their feet wet and get some experience, but also understands like the nuances from one genre to the next, or even from one band to the next, even within a, the same genre of what the needs are. You know, something that maybe right. you understand well, from you know from having that experience, but they may be lacking yeah. a little bit. Well, yeah, because for me, I'm looking for a clone of myself. I want someone that I can that I can end my night. I can go in, hang out with the family, be a normal person. And then have them out here doing the things that I'm normally doing after the wife goes to sleep. And I'm like, I'm out here till 11, 12 at night, like editing, you know? Yeah. So I'm looking to to where I can even, you know, maybe I can send these files off and someone else can edit them. And then I can take that time to mix a different record at night, you know? Yeah. So, it, so it's been very difficult to find someone that is capable enough to do the level of work that I wanted but also doesn't require the financial compensation that they probably deserve for being that good. It's tough because right now there's not, you know, and there's obviously exceptions to this, but there's not a ton of money going out right now. You know, labels aren't putting out as much money as they used to. Um, A lot of bands are doing things on their own. And so, you know, they're delivering pizzas to pay for the record. And so, you know, you know, we built the studio last year. My goal this year has been, you know, I'm tired of being that 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 guy that hasn't worked on enough projects. So my goal this year has been to get as many like awesome sounding bands and projects through my studio as possible, whatever it takes. So I find right. myself this year, you know, doing buddy deals on projects because I believe in the band and I want to work on it. And even if it means I'm not going to make as much, um, I still want my name on it. And I like, and I'm going to do this, and, I'm, and we're going to make it work. So that's been this year. You know, and the hope is that, you know, by next year, you know, I'll, I'll have enough under my belt that, you know, I won't have to do as many buddy deals. That'll always be a thing. But, you know, the, the, the goal this year is to do buddy deals to get bands in and through and put out great sounding stuff that we can show off. Um, and so when you start off, when I start off already with, you know, taking, you know, less money than what is required for me to really justify doing this full time, and then I'm paying, you know, you know, I'm having to pay somebody else to edit it or if I'm paying like an assistant or whatever, you know, all of a sudden, you know, I'm really just making nothing at all. I would be making more money, you know, selling cell phones at whatever store. You know, it's a tough balance for us sometimes, I think. Yeah, I mean, I think that the the buddy deal is a great move because at the end of the day, you know, like, you know, a year from now when, when, you know, said label is looking at your discography, you know, there's no budget that's written in all music of what you charge them. Right. You know? <laughs> so yeah. At the end of the year, you do I want to see, do I want to see my bank account, you know, padded a little bit more or do I want to see my catalog padded a little bit more right now? Oh. And hopefully for a, a long time, I want to see my catalog, you know, padded a little bit more. Okay, so you talked about test. We were talking about test mixes. So I don't do test mixes, yeah. and and it kind of comes back to that where, um, and it's it's kind of worked out for me a little bit where like a band has come to me and they said, hey, we'd love for you to do a test mix on this, and, and just like to see what you can do with it. And I always go back with bands and I tell them, look, if you don't already think I'm the right person to do this, then you know I don't want to be the guy working on it with you. I feel like it'd be a disservice. And uh, it's kind of, I don't mean it, and maybe that sounds snotty, but I don't really mean for it to. Like, I, like, if, if you can't listen to the things that I've done, yeah, I feel like I put my personality out there pretty well. Like, I feel like if you follow me on social media, which a lot of, you know, guys do, especially like if a band's interested, I know they'll follow me on social media. I think you can get a pretty good sense of like the kind of person that I am. Maybe not like the Mm -hmm. intricate details, but you can kind of see that like I'm easy to get along with. I'm lighthearted. I like pizza and video games and whatever, whatever. Um, and I, and I genuinely care about what it is that I'm doing. 
and if you can't like take that and you know the the recommendations from you know past clients and then you know the the mixes that I have up and available if that's not enough you know I don't have anything else to give you so right. I quit doing test mixes I think I did like one or two ever and then I I kind of decided you know like again it all goes back to like me trying to you know I don't I don't think that the guys at the top ever really do test mixes I think they're too busy to do no. them. So I kind of decided right. one day I'm not I'm not going to do test mixes anymore. Like if 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 you don't think that I'm the right person for the job, that's okay. But you know, if you want me to do a mix for you, cool. But I I also have this schedule and I and I can't do it for free. So right. I kind of like made that decision and that's been that's been that's done me very well, I feel like. And I'm I'm sure I probably missed out on some opportunities, you know, here and there, but that's okay. Yeah. How long do you think it was before you were able to do that? I I think I started doing that right away. I think when I moved into my home, it was just such like this like opportunity to like reinvent myself that I just I kind of like started this mentality and 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 this idea of who it was I wanted to be back then, and it's just kind of it's just kind of what I've carried with me since then. Um, yeah. And I always want to be kind to people. I always want to be a good person, put good out into the world. But I also know like I don't want to be I don't want to be the guy that does test mixes that get turned down and I, I did all this work for nothing and I don't want to be the guy that's working on music that nobody listens to. Um, you know, again, it right. goes back to like I want to rever- I want to reverse engineer. I want to be this producer. So how do I get there? And if those guys aren't doing test mixes and they're not recording music that, you know, that nobody gives a crap about then I shouldn't either. And that's hard to do sometimes. It means, you know, missing out on some projects that might, you know, buy me a new piece of gear or help keep the lights on. But I was willing to like walk away from that on matter of principle. The downside to test mixes is if if you're just, you know, a lot of the times you're doing a test mix and you're just sending your mix out. If they like it, they like it. If they don't, they don't. And unfortunately, let's just say the band you know their favorite record of all time is like Slayer God God hates us all right right so I mean who who, who and it's like is that not favorite like whose whose record is that not favorite I, that was try, <laughs> I was trying to make a sentence there I totally just didn't do it but you get what I'm saying yeah I don't know I don't know who anyone who like like even my that's my mom's favorite record I yeah mean, that's, absolutely that's what it, my wife walked down to the aisle to that but you know what I mean so say they love that record as their favorite record that's like their benchmark right right and to me that record is very thin and smashed. And a, but it's like it's aggressive as crap because of you know the way it was designed. Yeah. But so say you do your mix right, and your mix has like a good amount of low end, right? Yep. And gets, guitars are nice and thick, and and your mix overall is a thick and warm mix. So you send that mix out to them, they hear it, and them like. Now they're on tour, and they're touring with another band who might be thinking about mixing with you, right? And it's like, yeah, we're thinking about mixing with Rick, man. Like, like it's pretty cool. We're pretty stoked. Oh, man. Like, he did a test mix for us, and it was like, it was whack, man. It was like super bassy, and like, his mix was just weird, you know? Yeah. So that's the, that's the one thing... I've been scared of. Like that's why I say I always try to get the band involved if I'm ever going to do one of those to where it's like, you know, hey, like why don't you just pay me to mix the one song? Right. And we'll get it right. And then usually the way it works is I do get it right and then that song is just, you know, the budget for that one song just goes towards the rest of the mix for the record. So 
And I think that's I think that's incredibly smart. I think that is you know I would rather, and I think it does the band benefit too. You know, like because it, you as a band, if you're sending stuff out for test mixes, you're just throwing it out into the wild, and you have no control over what comes back. And you know who gets their first mix and is ever you know 100 percent happy with their very first mix they get back. Although I will say, like when CLA mixed the first Aosin record, I walked in to listen to it, and it was like. Yeah, I mean that's pretty great. <laughs> uh, and I think I think our only notes were like, "Hey, can we bump up the background vocals and then maybe address like the snare sample on a couple songs?" You know, but it was like for the most part, every time I walked into the room, it was like, "Yep, sounds like a CLA mix." Yep. Next song. And that's what, that's who I want to be. You know, I don't necessarily want to be CLA, but I want to be that guy where people like they know. When you know when you come to me to record, the things are going to be tracked properly. They're going to sound great, and the finished product is going to sound great. They don't have to worry about that. That's the guy that I'm striving to be. That's like my short-term goal. That like, you know, when somebody says, "Hey, we're going to go record with Rick," that the response is, "Cool, it's going to sound great." That's what I'm pushing for right now. Yeah, I think that's kind of everyone's goal. You know, to have that kind of trust and reliability. And that's tough because it it comes with you know it comes with that experience, and you have to have that experience to continue to have that experience it's that whole you know being that experience yeah. to get the job situation but once you get the once you get that ball rolling it kind of snowballs a little bit and and i feel that you know i feel like i'm in yeah. i feel like i can look back where i was a year ago um and see how much further i i am now i think that's one of the things too that keeps me going during like those times when it's just like man i just am done with this is i look back and mm-hmm. you know how far have i come in the last year and i can see a huge growth you know in you know, the quality and stuff that I'm able to do and the quality of the bands that I'm working with from a year ago. And then, you know, obviously, like, when I started five years ago, you know, a huge, tremendous just amount of growth. And I feel like that, like, helps keep pushing me forward. Yeah, and, and isn't it funny, too, how it's almost like the better bands you get, the more it pushes you to be better. But at the same time, it also makes your job exponentially easier when... The band and the songs that you're recording are better. Man, I, I talk about I use brand new as an ex, like as an example all the time. I feel like brand new's you know their songs are great, but a lot of times their mixes aren't the best mixes. Not that they're horrible, mm-hmm. but they're not great mixes. And so for me, I I learned through that that you know the songs are what matter the most. And so like yeah, when bands come in, the bands are easy to work with, and they can play their instruments, and they they know their parts, or they can you know learn their parts quickly enough. Um, and the songs are there, you know, the recording part is just easy. And that that's when I think yeah. the stuff is the most fun. You know, like when bands can come in and just like lay down something killer, whether, whether it takes us one or two attempts or whatever, um, but they can do it. And it's it's when, you know, when we spend all day on a drum track for one song, that's when things become a little difficult. But, uh, it, but again, like the yeah. more we do this, the less I work with those bands and the more that I, again, it snowballs. You know what? Totally. One of the other experiences I have, um, I've been getting this a lot lately. I have two different experiences. Like this is one of the experiences that I have. <laughs> the other one is a little bit different. But uh, the one I've been getting a lot lately is they've gone to whatever big name producer and they actually had a really great time and loved what they came out with. Um, and they spend their entire time here telling me about their experience with whatever ex producer. And sometimes it feels like when you're on like a first date with a girl and she's spending the entire time talking about how great her ex boyfriend is. 
So it's it's a little, it's not, I don't want to say that it's awkward because I'm happy for them and I want to work with bands that are working with big producers. And for me, that kind of puts me in that ballpark. And so there's a lot of positive stuff that comes from it. But a lot of times I think it's a posturing thing sometimes for bands where they'll come in and they'll be like, you know, I've worked with such and such producer. um, And it's all about that producer the entire time. And it's really funny that I'll see this shift, like if they're here for like two days to like we're recording a single or whatever. But usually like there'll be this shift, you know, like two thirds of the way through their time here when they realize that like, they didn't spend the the huge budget to record a full length here, you know, and I'm, I'm not that big name producer, but they also are having a fantastic time and are extremely happy with everything they've done. So I've been getting that a lot lately. And that's been really entertaining to like, see that, like them bragging about the big name producer. And then like that shift to like, holy cow, this is actually, this is also actually really good too. I don't know if you ever get that or not. I mixed the record for that band drop dead gorgeous. And it was, uh, I think it's called The Hot and Heavy, I think. Okay. And when I showed up to the studio to mix it, I actually mixed it out in Atlanta at Glow in the Dark where they recorded okay. with uh, Matt Goldman. Yeah. And it was funny because when I first got there, you know, it was kind of the same thing, a little bit of posturing. And Wait, did they rec- when did they you heard mix my- it there at Glow in the Dark? Yeah. And uh, which was kind of interesting because it was like an unfamiliar room, mm-hmm. you know? Yep. So, but it was nice. There was, you know, it was still at the time when budgets were available. So I was able to have certain pieces of gear that I felt like were critical to my workflow, like be rented and available at the studio. Okay. So that was cool. But yeah, it was funny for like the first, after the first mix, I'd let them hear. All I kept hearing about was like, man, I can't believe it. Like, it's so crazy. Like, do you know that we spent $400,000 on our last record? And like, you know, we spent $60,000 mixing with Tom Lord Algae, our last record. <laughs> and like, you're like so much cheaper and like, we're like so much happier with this, you know? And I was like, I was like, okay, you're giving me like a really rad compliment, but I'm also kind of like really bummed that I'm not charging you way more. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like... I guess let's let's jump and talk about like now where you're at. Um, you you just did like a uh, like a Kemper profile pack, right? Mm-hmm. What brought that about, and how much work was that to do? Oh, because okay, I've so... thought about doing something like that, but I've one I don't own a Kemper, and two I'm kind of curious to like what the workload is. Well, okay, so just in an effort to be like completely transparent. Um, you know, I spend a lot of my time trying to just like bands do trying to stay relevant, you know, like just because I may land this one project today doesn't mean that there's going to be another project tomorrow. I feel like this constant need to get up every day, um, stay active on social media, make contacts, you know, push for, um, you know, referrals from bands that I've worked with. And, and all. Like, I still feel like the hustle is super real for me. Um, and there definitely, there, you know, sometimes it feels a little bit like feast or famine. Sometimes I feel like I have way too much on my plate and I desperately need, um, somebody to come like be my assistant so I can get everything done that I need to and still have a life. And then sometimes it's like, I have nothing going on. It's like, and I think it's like during those times where it, like, you know, the, the dark cloud hangs over and it's like, why am I doing this? Um, right. So um, I have a buddy, Jack, and I talk about Jack a lot. He lives, uh, he works, he plays in a band called War of Ages. He lives about an hour away from me. And he's got a little setup there where he like, he'll, he doesn't have room to track drums. So he spends all his time here, like tracking drums with the bands that he's producing. And we were both kind of in this spot, like last September where we just didn't have anything going on. 
So we trying to find ways to like stay relevant and find something to do. And we had just at that time, like we both had like a lot of guitar amps between the two of us. And we thought, what, what's just build like, let's just do a Kemper pack and we'll just do it and put it out there. So we took two days to like profile all of our amps. And we did a lot of things where it's like, we would put like, we did every amp through, you know, and we did every, every channel on all the amps that we had. We did it through two different cabs and we did like overdrive versions and non-overdrive versions for like some of the higher gain stuff. And I think we, we just did it because we were bored and just needed something to do. We were going to put it out a long time ago, but we were trying to find like an opportunity to like get a couple of friends of ours who play guitar to like just do like some playthrough videos that we could use as like promotional stuff. Um, mm-hmm. But then we got so busy that that kind of just fell by the way. Like we were really like not busy. And then like the next day, like we got it done and then we were just slammed. So like right. we just kind of like sat by the wayside for a really long time because we didn't have any like videos to put out with it. And then one day, you know, fast forward like you know six months, um, I got an email where I, I had put everything up on our website, but it was kind of hidden. Like you couldn't, there was no links to it or anything. So unless you had like a direct link for it, you couldn't like go to my website and find like the store that had it up there and everything like that. But I guess you could Google like like the name of our our Kemper pack, and a link would pop up oh. for it. And I didn't know that. So one day, like I just got an order for two of them, like where somebody bought, like two different people bought it. So I, we just kind of decided, well, you know what, if people are buying it already and it's not even posted, you know, who cares about like videos or like, you know, like, uh, like sound clips or whatever, let's just put it out. So we did. And like, they've been selling pretty well, like every other day, like we'll get a couple orders in and it's been great to just, you know, have a couple extra bucks laying around from just doing that work a couple months ago. We really wanted to do, uh, we're, we're trying to come up with a name. We want to do like a, a site where we can do just like Kemper profiles and do like drum packs and stuff like that. Everybody's kind of doing it. It's kind of a hot thing right now anyways. We don't really care to like push it and like make it huge. It's more just like something to do just for fun and just for some clout, I guess. But so we're like trying to come up with good names for it. And like all of our good names are all already like taken by like this one, like this some somebody owns it, all the stuff that we want to do already. Like I think we're trying to do like tonebros.com or like tonebrothers.com and like all those URLs are like up for sale for like twenty thousand dollars. So wow. like we're kind of like stymied there where like we want to do it, but we can't come up with a good name. So it's kind of like you know where you want to be in a band, but you can't come up with a good name. So oh, yeah. just, the band just never goes anywhere. But not a lot of work. I think yeah. it's been like two days to do it. Um, but that was it. And they've been getting like really positive reviews. I've had like, it's really funny. Like, see, he was in here the other day recording a band. Um, and we have one of the amps that we used that we made a profile of. And uh, he like dialed up the actual amp. And like he played the guitar tone and then ran the DI through our Kemper pack of the same amp. Like we had profiled it, you know, six months ago. And now we we're like using the same head, but now mic'd up. It was really interesting that like the the sound he got out of the actual amp we thought was phenomenally better, just way better. Then he went to go mix wow. it and he just couldn't get it to mix right. And just on a whim, he just like sent it through the profile, which we thought didn't sound quite as good. Um, and it ended up working out way better. And like, so I thought that was really interesting that like, he went back with a tone that we felt like didn't maybe sound as good as like the live amp that we had at the moment. Um, and it just it's even though like the live amp sounded better it didn't sound it didn't sit as well in the mix if that makes sense oh 100% i have a uh, i have like this ax effects bass tone that i have yeah and i it pretty it it's funny even on i was just tracking some bass recently and 
the the bass player like wasn't really that psyched on it. Yep. But so you know, and it's like you know, I've got like all like the dark glass stuff, and like I have like the dark glass head, and you know, we tried like, and then I think I have what's the other thing? It's like Aguilar, which I feel like those things are like the pinnacle of bass tone right now. Like when you're doing like any sort of like heavy music, right? Like that's like if you've got dark glass stuff, that's it. Yeah, I mean, I like that stuff like more for the rock stuff. But then again, I prefer like my favorite bass tones are just like a P bass or a jazz bass, like through a uh some sort of like tube screamer or like martial head type thing you okay. know and then something else for the something else for like the bottom end okay so anyways i just love like that kind of mid range in a bass so you know we spend all this time like looking at like oh it's like oh we're, well I, I that that tone's cool that you have but i just need more character out of it you know and like so we finally find this like bass that has like all this cool character that we like and then same thing, like we put it in the track and it just kind of like disappears, yeah. you know? And then I throw like my just whatever bass track that I know is tried and true back up and instantly like everyone in the room was like, shit, like that sounds so much better. Like, yeah, even though the track, it didn't sound quite you know? as good outside of the track. Yeah. Totally. But that's that whole thing, you know what I mean? Like there's always that kind of, you know, everyone always talks about like, oh man, don't mix in solo. But I think you can also kind of don't judge your tone in solo yeah. also. Yeah. You know what I mean? So anyways, kind of cool. It is. What do I... you uh let's let's talk about gear now. Okay. What are some pieces or do you have any pieces of gear now where you're just like, I can't make a record without this? Oh, uh yes. I do. Um well, okay, one interesting thing. I had a loop trotter reach out to me and they sent me a monster compressor. And I was lamenting this to my Vintage King rep today. Um, mm-hmm. He sent it to me, and it was one of those things like, hey, we're trying to get our name out there. We're big around the world, but we can't get into the United States market very well. We're still working there. Part of it is like some of their stuff, I think, looks a little bit like a Tonka truck or like a DeWalt hand drill. Like it's just bright yellow Do- and black, and it's not the yeah, like, sexiest piece of gear to look at. No, their visual, like whoever designs their like artistic visual side, like sucks. Yeah, it's not good. Um, but man, like it's, it was a crazy cool compressor. The only problem is like the stuff that it was great on was like, it, it killed it on drum room mics. And when it came down to like, okay, well, if you don't, if you're not like, we need to either have you buy it or we're going to send it off to somebody else to check it out. And I didn't buy it right then because like right now I'm still, I don't go into debt for gear, but I went into debt accidentally on my barefoots. Because uh, mm-hmm. my buddy who works for Barefoot brought a pair up, and I was prepared to be like underwhelmed by them, and it was just so blown away by the amount of stuff that I was trying to mix on my twins that I just couldn't hear. That like when he brought up the Barefoots, it was they were just it was just there, and I felt like I'd spent it all this sucks, time. Huh? Like, yeah, I, I was like, okay, well, I can't afford these right now, but I can't afford not to have them because I'm trying to mix stuff, you know, that I can't hear, which is stupid. It's like trying to arm wrestle with both arms tied behind your back. So I really couldn't afford to like buy another piece of gear right then. But like, I just felt like the drums that I did with the loop trotter, like on drum room mics, like just sounded so much better. Like I always felt like drum rooms kind of just kind of like, I don't know, just, they never really excited me very much. But when I like recorded them through Mm -hmm. this, I was just like, Oh wow. Now this is what people are talking about, about making drum rooms sound good. 
and like having it like really fill the kit out. So I don't have yeah. it anymore. And uh, so I'm just, I'm like constantly debating about whether or not I want to buy it. It's just really ugly. And I know that's a really stupid reason not to buy something. And I also don't want to spend the money on something that's like a compressor that I just mostly use for drum rooms. Drum rooms. Yeah. yeah but what a cool piece, but I don't have it right now. But um, I think something like one of the cool, cool pieces that I've got recently, I feel like the Neve Master Bus processor is just like that's just the coolest little piece of gear that I have right now, I think. I mean, there's other cool stuff out there, but like that's the one that's like I would be really sad if I had to do a mix without it, I think. And that's on your Master Bus, on your 2 Bus? Yeah. You know, it's 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 obviously a, a compressor, but right. it has, you know, it does like some stereo stuff, which you have to be careful with. It can get a little crazy. But if you use it just, you know, just a little bit, it can do some really nice stuff there. It's got a limiter built in. It's got some saturation that it does. It's kind of just like got all these cool things in like a little two rack box and it all sounds great. So, and I think because it sits, you know, because it affects everything in the mix, I feel like it affects my, like it's a part of the sound that I'm trying, that I'm, you know, that I'm dialing in. So if I remove that, I feel like a lot of my sound goes away and that's probably not entirely true. You know, there's obviously other ways we can get, you know, there's, there's lots of EQs out there. There's lots of compressors out there. You can, there's lots of different things that'll do stereo width. Um, you can get that from other places, but, uh, I, I definitely feel like I would hate, like if you took that away, I'd be really sad. What about you though? You've got some crazy stuff on your desk, like some awesome, crazy, yeah. cool stuff. I mean, I feel like my setup's pretty modest. I mean, like I pretty much use everything here, but again, I have kind of like a, it's, it's not, it is a template, but it's not, you know what I mean? Like the way I treat it, I treat it like it's a console pretty much. So when I had my console, I just had these things always patched in on like, you know, on a couple different parallel drum buses and then on like a bass bus, a guitar bus, a vocals bus, and then a band bus. So I had all these pieces patched in on the console. And then when I decided to go hybrid, I just had to figure out a way to make it work. So every time I start a mix now, I basically, I just create I think, what is it? It's it's like 12 stereo buses total. I have like a kick snare toms bus, and then I have three parallel kick snare toms buses that are fed by auxes. And then you're running through different um, compressors, right? Like you're getting like some different bit of love from three different kinds of compressors, I think, if I remember seeing one of your posts about yeah. that. Yeah, so I'll, I'll have like I have like an 1178 type thing and then like the standard kind of SSL vibe, and then I have the Compex. Okay. And I may not use all three of those all the time, but it, for me, it's just about the speed of already having them patched in to be able to just kind of like quickly, you know, either like send to it, see what it's doing. Do I like it? Do I not? Okay, mute or bypass, you know, done. Like it either works or it doesn't. And it's know? already there. So and you then, don't have to think about it. You just you either listen to it and it's there or it's not. And then you just move on. Yeah. So for me, a lot of my speed comes from eliminating my options. I think it's just a comfort thing I've found. The kind of I, I hate the word. It's like it feels so douchey to me. Like use the word sweet spot, but like I <laughs> right. found the right, I found the right gain staging to where I love how these pieces of gear sound when I hit them a certain way. And I think to me, it's maybe maybe it's just laziness of like, hey, I have something that I really like and I like how it works and I like the results that I get from it and that I feel like this combination of these all these different pieces make the puzzle that is my mix me so maybe i'm just lazy and don't want to have to refine i don't want to have to open up like 12 different plugins and find 
an alternative to these things. You, you know, know, I'd I, rather just keep you, I'd rather keep using these and keep mixing. I, I think about that a lot. Um, and, and about juggling, you know, I, what I don't ever want to do is I don't want to be one of those guys who every single mix you put out sounds exactly the same where you're using the same guitars, the same drums. The only thing that's different is like the vocalist and maybe the mix just, barely, right. but it's like the exact same thing. And so I question myself about that a lot. And I, you know, I think that, you know, I think puzzle is the right word when it comes to mix. That's always what I think of things as like when I'm mixing something, it's like a puzzle that I'm trying to like figure out a way to make things sit and feel right. And to like, so that my mix doesn't get in the way of the song. So like when somebody's listening to the song that they're not hearing my mix, they're just hearing the song. I feel like if I can do that, that I've done a good job. And sometimes, you know, like yeah. a lot of what I do is just trying to make, you know, most of the singers that I record don't sing in, in key. Um, you know, most of the drummers mm-hmm. that I record don't play perfectly to the click. Um, guitar players fumble mm-hmm. through stuff. You know, they, I don't have an ever tuned guitar. So a lot of, you know, there's some stuff that's out of tune just a little You're bit. You're missing out, dude. I know. I'm, I'm working out. on it. That's my next guitar. I've already, I'm already working on it. Um, Cause I spend so you much need, time battling tuning, like just battling tuning in the studio. And it's so annoying. But it does Dude. feel like it feels like a puzzle, though, you know, like trying to take all of that stuff and finesse it so that it works, especially when you have a schedule and you have deadlines. It becomes silly at that point to, like, deconstruct, like, things that, you know, work, you know, because what, what I imagine would happen is if you if you did do that, you'd spend a couple hours trying to use different things and you wouldn't be getting the same results and you'd end up going back to what works for you anyways. And then you've just wasted a couple of hours. I also feel like at our level, I mean, like, or at least the the intensity at which we're listening, you know, you're you're easily going to, sp- I mean, it's like, man, if I were to try to find another, like, well, if it would be one thing if it was just like, okay, like, you know, like my EQs are in the shop. I got to like get something done. Cool. Right. Fine. I could easily just like throw something up and get it, get it done and, and feel fine about it you know yeah i could make i can make it work and i'd still feel good like i was putting out quality but if someone said you know hey all this is going away and now you have to come up with replacements via plugins i mean it's like at that point i think that like that's when it that's when it kind of almost becomes that that unhealthy like you're, you're blowing things way more out of proportion you know what i mean so like sometimes when you dial in guitar tones or drum tones and you're just really like micro analyzing the smallest little piece about the tone you know and you're just like we're playing this section of the song is going to be power chords i don't think it necessarily matters how this particular guitar tone sounds when you're like finger tapping up at the like you know the 35th fret or or something stupid you know what i mean it's like first off you're not even finger tapping in the song so why would you even play that as we're (laughs) listening to guitar tones you know, it's like, yeah, so I think I would be listening to it with a totally different set of ears rather than, you know, like, hey, does this does this work and does it get the point across? The, the funny thing is, though, is every once in a while, like, you'll come across these mixes and it's like, damn, that mix shreds. Like, who did this? And then you find out the dude's, like, all plugins, you know, yep. and you're like, man. <laughs> and you're like, man, yep. I suck. I yep. really suck. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Oh. And that's why, like, my wife, I went to, like, this stage too early on when it was, like, when I wouldn't have a lot of people in, I would use that time to, like, buy gear to try and make myself feel better about what it was that I was doing. But then, yeah, like, then I would find somebody who, like, put out some mix that just, like, just rips and there's no, there's no hardware on it at all. And uh, yeah. it's, and it's just, like, great. I am terrible. Why did I spend all this money on everything? I should just give up. 
But yeah. you know what, though, yeah. too, though, like I listened to uh, one of the things I think is really interesting and summing comes up a lot like this where people actually, you know, there's a battle about, you know, if analog summing makes a difference or not. You know, we, we don't live in a world where like when we buy a CD, we have two versions of every song, like one that's, you know, summed and one that's not. You, you just kind of get the mix. And that's, you know, that's the only perception you have about how the song sounds is just, you know, the final version of it. But I generally right. think, you know, like if you send something through, you know, if you had, you know, if you had your your outboard gear and you had the exact, you know, you had the equivalent in plugins, you know, all set to like like comparable settings, that there would be a difference if you could A and B them, and that like one would probably have a little more life to it. But like when you get those shredding mixes that are all done on plugins, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is like I I imagine I believe that if they had you know if they had the gear and they were using the gear. And you could A B the two mixes, the the one that goes through the physical stuff would probably come out sounding just a little bit better, maybe two to five percent, maybe even more, who knows? But you know, we live in a world where you're never gonna get that. You know, we don't take the time to do two mixes of every song, like one through gear and one through not gear. Also, too, it's workflow. Like I'm actually more comfortable using plugins on like individual tracks for the most part. And right. then having my buses set up a certain way, or like, or you know, like I may, I may just enjoy the way that um, the layout of a plugin is, and I'll prefer to use it because of like the ease of use of the the user interface, or for whatever reason that just maybe I like the color purple or something, and it's like, oh, this plugin has purple. I just get a good feeling when I use it. You know what I mean? <laughs> Even though it's like, I feel like yeah. a lot of it is is like, I don't know. At least for me, a lot of things are mental, and I try to take the mental out of it, but. Well, and, and you know, and I don't want to say that, plug, you know, I'm a hybrid user too. You know, like I definitely have my plugins that I use. Um, I don't have enough hardware that I can go across every single track on, you know, on everything. So, you know, I have to utilize both worlds. But, you know, one of the things that I like, one of the things I've learned recently, I used to be scared about committing on the way in. Um, like, cause I do, you know, like I do a lot of tracking as well. So I spend like half my time tracking and then half my time editing and then like, you know, whatever's left trying to mix something with the time that we have left. Um, <laughs> but like I used to be really scared of committing to sounds and going like going in. And uh, I remember I went out like this is last uh, winter when I went out to NAMM. I stopped by a couple of friends studios out there and they're showing me stuff like, you know, like where they had their drum set already set up and everything was EQ'd with hardware going in and like stuff just sounding so great while they're tracking it. I decided to like dive into it. I ended up buying like when I came back, I ended up buying a bunch of extra gear so I could start, you know, throwing compressors and EQs and stuff on like the the kit or even on guitars or on vocals. Um, and mm-hmm. that's made a huge difference for me. And like I think like I think people enjoy hearing things sounding better anyways while they track them. I think there's a confidence level that comes too, like when they're working with somebody and they're getting great sounds. You know, I think does that make sense? Like, you know, if I'm recording like a drum set and I don't have anything on it, it's just raw. You know, it, people aren't quite as confident as if I like send stuff through EQs and get stuff sounding even better. You know, like when they when they come in the other room and they listen to like what they recorded, it already sounds like not finished, but it sounds great. It's punchy, it's clean. People dig that stuff, and there's there's a little bit of confidence I think that comes with it that you're able to like, you know, again going back to like the therapy sort of thing, like where you have to like try and pull out the best um, performance out of a musician that you can. You know, when you have the stuff to like be able to make their stuff sound great going in, uh, I think it's easier to pull out those performances anyways than if things didn't sound quite as good. Does that make sense? I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've been tracking vocals for a band and 
that you know maybe one of the guys in the band uh, has done all the demos. And yeah. he's and you know and the, you know say so say the guitar player is the guy that does all the demos for the band and he's he's like blown away just like, dude what the heck like how come how come you never sang this good for me like when I was tracking and the, and then the <laughs> and they always just talk like, like that too right the band the yeah. guy who always recorded the band before you always talk they always got that voice man <laughs> yeah. And it's Always. like, it, and if, and it's like, all, and I track vocals in the control room now. Right. So, you know, granted, I mean, it's like, it's very rarely that like, uh, the rest of the band is even allowed in here. So it's usually just me and the singer, but okay. every once in a while they'll be like, you know, say so it's like, oh, well the, these are the two writers and like, they kind of co-wrote all the vocals. It's like, oh, okay, cool. Well, we can have you in here just to kind of like, if we have any like lyrical things or, you know what I mean? Cause sometimes it's like, well, this guy comes up with the melody, well, oh, whatever. It doesn't matter. Anyways, you know, guitar, you know, guitar players like, you know, wh- how come you never sang like that for me? And then instantly the singer turns around and he's like, dude, like I sound awesome right now, you know? And it's like, mm-hmm. you know, like, dude, the, like listen to this headphone mix. Like this sounds freaking awesome, you know? And it's like the singer's just fired up because it sounds good. And, you know, obviously that makes a huge difference in how they play and how they like perform into, you know, the mix that's already sounding great. And there's that confidence there. And yeah, I mean, that that's, that's invaluable. Well, there's going to be guys that listen to this and they talk just like that guitar player. They're going to listen. They're going to be like, well... I don't really plugins are the whatever and hardware is just stupid and whatever. Right, there's there's those guys out there and you know what that whatever it's whatever works for people it doesn't matter. But for me, what works for me is is that same thing. Like if if I can use pieces of gear, you know, I I genuinely think that like you know when guys come in and they recorded their demos on like whatever USB mic and then they come in and they sing into my manly reference, they're gonna hear a difference. And when they hear themselves sound better. Um, it's just that much more easy for me to pull out a good performance when they're stoked about what they're hearing and not only that, but just for them to have confidence in me, you know, like it's one thing to like people to like walk in and to see the gear, but if they can like, if I can use the gear and they can hear things sounding good while they're here, they're going to have that much more confidence throughout the entire tracking process. And then like, they're not going to worry about getting mixes back because they know, Hey, things already sound this good on the way in they're going to sound great coming out. And that's huge for me. And that's what, that's the, I think that for me is the role that gear plays is it just helps me get things to sound better on the way in and on the way out. Well, and I think it's different with different genres too. I mean, like, obviously I feel like with, with some genres where the, the, the source tones are just so heavily modified, like into like the super hyper reality type of yeah. sound like yeah i mean there's no way that like the the raw tracks for like a you know whatever type of genre are are going to sound like the way they're going to be once they're like you know fully sampled and compressed and like stripped of any sort of like cymbal bleed you know what i mean like it's just like man like real drums don't sound like that right so yeah let me ask you this. You're talking about gear. Tell me this really quickly. What's one piece that you don't have that you're lusting after right now? Um, you know, I'm like good on all my gear. Um, That's a lie. That's not true. No, I'm yeah, kidding. I'm good. I mean, the only thing I'm thinking about doing is I have a couple different... Well, I'm thinking about doing two things. So I'm thinking about going from... So I'm on the Barefoot 45s. I'm okay. thinking about going to the uh, the twelves. I think I'm thinking okay. about going to those, just because okay. I like I like I like three ways. 
I would have gotten the 12s from the get-go, but I wasn't able to sell my Quested's in time. So I just couldn't afford spending that big a chunk without selling the monitors I had. So that would be one thing I would like to upgrade. And okay. then also, so I have, like, the mic I'm talking into right now, obviously no one can tell. It's a vintage U87. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? And yeah. So it's a vintage, vintage 87. I have another... I think it's like a 50s CMV 563 Neumann Geffel mic. Okay, yep. That's that's great with like an M7 capsule. And I'm thinking about selling both of those and just getting a, like a uh, either a Flea 47 or some sort of like 47. Because I feel like usually, like I don't really do a ton of like mic shootout stuff. Because I'm, right. I'm finding, um, it's like you know what I mean. It's like either SM7 or something else. Like it's right. usually gonna, it's usually gonna sound great, and you can right. kind of tell from the guy's voice to, from the get go, like if it's gonna sound good or not. And by the time you have to tune everything, and stretch everything, and stack it with harmonies. I mean, like right now, like I, I doubt anyone would have heard this and been like, "Oh man, Bo's voice sounds great." It's definitely a vintage '87, you know, right. like. There's no way, but anyways, yeah. So I'm it's thinking funny how about, much like think like gear matters, but at the same time, like it just doesn't matter. No, I mean, like you know, if if you have a if you have a crappy singer like on this mic compared to a 57 or a 47, like it's it's not going to matter. People like like we were saying, you know, people are just going to hear the song, and you're either he he's either got a rad voice or he doesn't. That's true. That's cool. I don't know what it's like to be at that point where you're just kind of like, well, I'm done with gear. Like, I'm, I'm good. I, I mean, I feel that a little bit. Um, I go through, like, these times of, like, making big purchases and, like, getting, like, a handful of stuff. Um, and mm-hmm. I see, like, it, like it, and then I, I get to the point where it's like, okay, I'm done spending money. Now it's time to go and make some records. But there's always things, like, as I'm, like, like, right now my biggest thing is, like, I want to be able to, going back to, like, tracking things and having them, like, and, like, manipulating them on the way in. Like, I want to be able to have, you know, like... Uh, like maybe a distressor for all the shells going in and maybe some EQ for all the shells going in. So right now oh, I wow. like, have to like, compensate a little bit. And, and maybe that's a little bit of me like that wishes that he had a console. So you had, you know, you had that strip on every channel. But I think that's what I'm pushing for next. Like, like right now, like I, like I really want to be able to like when somebody brings in like, a, you know, their drum kit to be able to, you know, EQ and compress stuff like on the way in everything. And it's tough too, you know, like, I feel like, you know, me personally, I feel like drums are like, like the, the most important sounding portion of a good mix. I feel like if the drums are slamming, they're punchy and they sound great, you know, the vocal quality could be just, you know, you could record on like a 57 and get away with it, or the guitars could be just, you know, whatever. And things are still going to carry, like the drums will carry a lot more weight. But if you take the drums away and the drums kind of sound thin and trashy, it doesn't matter how great the guitar tone is or how great the vocals are. If the drums don't sound great, like the, I feel like the mix kind of falls apart. So like I've been like trying to emphasize putting a lot of more stuff into getting like great sounding drum tones to get that foundation. So that's what I'm pushing for right now. Have you, are you, are you bringing like a, a tech or are you teching on it? Yeah. So like when drummers come in, a lot of times I'm the guy that's like changing the heads, helping tune them, um, setting mm-hmm. the mics, running back and forth, checking sounds, moving the mic just a little bit this way or that way, doing everything. I'm the same way. Are you? Yeah. I was having some techs. Uh, I had one tech that was great. 
but you know, sometimes the budgets you just can't afford it. So then I started yeah. kind of picking picking up stuff from him, and then I've been using this TuneBot lately. It's basically it works the same way that a guitar tuner does. Okay. So it registers pitch. So you clip this thing on to the side of your on onto the hoop of your drum, and okay. you hit and you strike. You know, you basically like kind of tap around the lugs, yeah. And it tells you like what note and what frequency your drum is ringing at. So okay. like as you go around, like you know, if you were one of those super like music nerds, you could be like, oh man, well I'm gonna tune. We're playing in the key of F, so I'm going to tune my snare to an F, you know, or right. like whatever you want to do. And it's like, oh, I want my toms in perfect, you know, per- perfect. I want all eight toms in perfect half steps, you know. Right, uh, right. So, but it lets you tune. Why do we have eight toms? Why? Why are there eight toms? Right. You're only, yeah. only going to play two of them. Yeah, yeah, I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> Except for that one part when I have the whole band come in and hit all eight. Yeah, that's Phil Collins, note. Phil, where yeah. you like hit every single tom that you have. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, so basically you can tune the you can tune the toms or or let's so yeah, so it basically works off of pitch, right? So you right. can tune the top like you can but the great thing is is say you let's just say for you, right? Like you find like wow, well like somehow we stumbled upon this great drum sound. You can actually go out there, take your tune bot, clip it on the drum and tap around the drum. And then make note that like, wow, okay, rack tom, the top head is tuned around like 150, you know, or like, or like, let's just say like 100. And then the bottom head, that's, that's tuned to a note of like, you know, whatever, like, like another, let's just say 150, for example, like, okay, cool. So that's where this pitch coming out of this 12 inch rack tom is being created by these two heads tuned to these notes or, or frequencies, Great. Write it down. Remember it. You know. Okay. And then, and then same thing. Floor tom. Like, man, I love when a floor. Because another problem I used to have is I would tune floor tom so low that yep. on recording, like you just wouldn't be able to hear it on a normal stereo. Like, yeah, you have you can hear it. Like, you know, say like on a system with subs, and you're like, yeah, that sounds sick. But then you put it on a regular <laughs> radio, and you're like, man, I cannot hear the floor tom. It just. Yep. Sounds like a kick drum, except <laughs> yep. with no balls. Yep. So been there, been there, done that. And and especially when you're tracking drums, sometimes you know you might be listening to the the kit in the control room like loud, you know. So it's like obviously everything from the low end is amplified, and it feels more way more rad than it is. So, right. anyways, by using that, I've found some tunings that that I really like. That I know I can walk into any situation now and tune the drums to pitches that I like and I'm going to be super happy with it. And so. you know, I don't think that's lazy. You know, going back to the whole like routing stuff too, I think finding right. stuff that works for you is just being efficient. But man, yeah. if like you find something that like helps you get to the desired result faster, I think we'd be crazy not to take that opportunity. Yeah, I mean, it's it's that's that's something that's been like invaluable, you know, cuz now I can even especially since I'm going to other rooms to track drums, it's it's like I can tune the drums at my house to where I'll think I want them for the song. And the the other cool thing about it is say you have a fundamental or like you have like a kind of a reference note of where you like your toms and snare to sit, you know, you can actually go through and like they have this app that you can type in your desired pitch of okay. where you want your toms and whether or not you, I mean, you could probably even learn a lot just by reading the manual 
because it shows you how the relationships between the top and bottom heads affect the sustain and like mm-hmm. the the decay of the drum and the arc of the of the decay. So it's pretty cool. Like you can actually go in in this little phone app that you have, and it's like, okay, well, I want my you know I want my floor tom to like not dip in pitch, but I want it to decay really fast because it's kind of a faster style of music. So. Right. Here we go. Type that in, and it's like, oh, great. Here, let's try tuning it to this pitch. So then you tune it to that pitch, and it's this perfectly in tune drum. And then from there, you can decide, oh, I might want this a little lower or a little higher. And then you say, okay, well, I'm going to tune it up a little bit. And then it gives you the pitches to tune everything to, and it's still the same perfectly in tune drum, but just higher or lower. So I'm going to check it out because I spend a lot of time like just in the brown note area where everything I every everything I like tune a drum to just causes the drummer to like defecate in his pants and it's like right. that's not that's not what we want. So we spend right. you know most of our time tuning drums trying to get out of that. It's just that you know when you're tuning a drum that brown note area is so you know, there's it, this, it's it so feels wide. awesome. There's there's so much of it. Well, it feels awesome, but it's yeah. also like there's like there's a lot of there's a lot of play when you're like turning tuning those. Lines where you like you're staying in the brown note zone and so like trying to get out of that to like where it actually sounds good you know we spend a lot of time doing that but you know again like that's where i'm at right now but i'm always looking for ways to like be more efficient to get you know not just with drums but across mixes just get out of that brown note zone (laughs) oh totally Well, what i want i want people to be elated when they listen to my mixes not pooping their pants you know, yeah, unless yeah. it's out of elation, you know, and there's a very fine line there. I get it. <laughs> <sighs> well, dude, it's been awesome. Um, yeah, thank you for taking the time to do this. This has been it's been a lot of fun, Bo. All right, cool. Well, thanks, Rick. I appreciate it, and uh, I will talk to you soon. All right, Bo. Thanks, man. All right, adios. The Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast is brought to you by Line 6. Line 6 is a musical instruments manufacturing company that specializes in guitar amp and effects modeling and makes guitars, amps, effects pedals, and multi-effects. We introduced the world's first digital modeling amp, and we're behind the groundbreaking pod multi-effect, which revolutionized the industry with an easy way to record guitar with great tone. Line 6 will always take dramatic leaps so you can reach new heights with your music. Go to www.line6.com to find out more about Line 6. To get in touch with the URM podcast, visit urm.com slash podcast and subscribe today.